After this, Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he was performing on those who were sick. Jesus went up on the hillside and sat down there with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where can we buy bread for these people to eat? But Jesus was saying this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to have just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what is that for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. There were about 5,000 men. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed pieces to those who were seated. He also did the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. When the people were full, he told his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the miraculous sign Jesus did, they said, this really is the prophet who is coming into the world. When Jesus realized that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus feeds the 5,000 at the end of the day. Earlier that day, among other things, Jesus preached a sermon. On the next day, Jesus will preach another sermon, which you will be hearing in pieces over the next five weeks in the Gospels. So, let's start this sermon by listening to some words from those two sermons of Christ that bookend his miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Listen carefully to what your Savior says to you in these sermons, because it's beautiful. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them all life, so also the Son gives life to those he wishes. Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He is not going to come into judgment, but has crossed over from death to life. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. That's from the sermon before the feeding of the 5,000. This is what Jesus said in the sermon after the feeding of the 5,000. I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I tell you, the one who believes in me has eternal life. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that anyone may eat it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
So on both sides of feeding 5,000 hungry people, Jesus preaches. He preaches that he has come down from heaven, from the Father. And even though Jesus has now taken on human flesh, he and the Father are still one. They still have the same goal, the same mission. And that mission is to give life. That Jesus is here to give life with his own flesh. He is the bread of eternal life. And anybody, absolutely anybody, no matter what they have done up to that point in their life, can look to Jesus in faith. They feast on the bread of life and they live forever. And Jesus will never let them go. He will never cast them out. And on the last day, Jesus will raise them from the dead. And when he does, they will face no condemning judgment at all, only life. Life forever. Anyone may eat it and not die. Now, honestly, shouldn't that be enough? Eternal life through the bread of life. Couldn't Jesus stop there? Don't we all have a point where we're being nice to someone and we say, you know what, I think I've probably done enough for him now. He can take it from here. I've been nice enough. And on the other hand, don't we all have some shame that when other people are being nice, they're being good to us, don't we all have a point where we say, oh, I better not take advantage. I better not press my luck. It's about as much as I could probably hope for out of her. Not with Jesus. Jesus never stops. He gives us more than we could ever hope for, and he invites us to keep coming back for more. He invites us to come to him always for everything. He says, I do more for you than you could ever hope for, more than you could ever imagine. He is the bread that gives us eternal life, and he could stop there, but he doesn't. He does more for us than we could ever hope for. And one of the additional blessings that Jesus gives to his people is tests. He gives us tests so we can learn things. He blesses Philip and Andrew with a test. When Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where can we buy bread for these people to eat? But Jesus was saying this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, you can ballpark that at about $40,000, would not be enough for each of them to have just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what's that for so many people? Philip and Andrew fail their test. How do you do on your tests? When you are in a situation that appears hopeless, do you respond by complaining about how little you have? Do you dwell on the impossibility of your ability to solve the situation? Or do you pass the test by saying, I have Jesus here with me? See, Philip and Andrew would have passed this test with flying colors if they had just said, Jesus, we have you here with us. There is no amount of money that is going to solve this problem. The supply of food that we have on hand doesn't even put a dent in it. But Jesus, you can do more than we could ever hope for. But even though his disciples fail that test, Jesus then does exactly that. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, now let's hold on here a minute. Could you possibly hope 
for someone to take the time to say a prayer of thanksgiving before trying to feed 5,000 adult men on five loaves and two fish? Could you hope for someone to say a prayer of thanksgiving when trying to do that in a place that is so isolated, so desolate that the grass grows high, which means shepherds don't even take their flocks there, which means there's no natural way that any more food is going to be added to this supply. Could you possibly hope for a prayer of thanksgiving in that situation? From Jesus, you could bank on it. Could you hope for the same from Jesus' people? Or when we are down and short, and low and out, do we start in with a stream of complaining, whining whys? Oh, why do I have to have so little? Why can't the things that I have be nicer? Why can't I be in a place that offers me more support, more hope? Why can't I have what she has? Why can't I have this and that, this and that? See, Thanksgiving at all times, for all things, because all of it comes from God and all of it comes with the promise that he is going to provide what we need for our bodies. This is God-pleasing. That thanksgiving, though, gets bumped by complaining and whining when we forget that Jesus does more than we could ever hope for. When we remember it, though, then the thanksgiving kicks back up to God. So let's see what Jesus can do. He distributed pieces to those who were seated. He also did the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. When all the people were full, he told the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. When you remember that Jesus does more than you could ever hope for, not only does complaining stop and thanksgiving start, but your trust in difficult situations builds. In his letter to the Ephesians, St. Paul writes this, Now to him, who is able according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. No one could ever hope for a God who is so thoroughly loving that he sends and sacrifices his own son to save the world from its sin. No one could ever hope for a savior who does all the work to save them. His humble birth, his holy life, his suffering and death on the cross. Nobody could ever hope to follow that savior out of the grave and into the glory of heaven. Nobody could ever dream up this scenario where salvation flows from God to us as a completely free gift. No one could ever hope for this, which is why you only find it in one of the world's thousands of gods and one of the world's thousands of religions. See, all the dreamed-up religions, all the human hopes about the divine, miss this every time because it's more than anybody could ever hope for. And yet, we do hope for it. Listen again to the first part of what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Now to him who is able according to the power that is at work within us to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. So, God does more than we could hope for, more than we could ever dream of, and then, with that same divine power, he works in us the hope 
to believe it. So we do believe that we have a God who is so good for us that not only does he do everything to save our souls, but he also provides what we need for our bodies. It is more than anybody could ever hope for, but by the power of God working in us, it is our hope, our faith, our confidence. So then, how does a person who has that hope respond? First, no more failed tests. That even when we find ourselves in what appears to be a hopeless situation, we hope for the unhopable. We have a Savior who loves us so much that he cares for our souls and gives us what we need for our bodies, and he will come through for us. God cares about the physical side of our existence. He made our bodies. He doesn't forsake what he makes. God sent his Son into this world as a flesh and blood human being. On Easter, he didn't just raise Jesus' soul. He raised his flesh and blood body too, and he will do the same thing for us. He opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. He turns our heads toward the the, lilies of the field and says, look what I do for those silly little flowers that are going to be gone tomorrow. If I dress them like that, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? When the tests come, we pass them. Confidence that God will do what he has promised. How else do we respond to this hope that we have? Well, even when we are holding only five loaves and two fish in our hands and having to do something that appears impossible, we thank God for what he has given us because it did come from him and it did come with all of his promises to care for us attached. Be thankful for what you do have. Don't compare it to what you wish you had or to what your neighbor has. Thank God for what he has given you. How else do people respond to a God who does more than we could ever hope for and then gives us the hope to believe it? All right, now before I get to this one, I need to do a little qualifier. Because there are a lot of pastors and a lot of churches now that are making a really bad mistake with this story. They are reducing the feeding of the 5,000 to just a moralistic lesson to be nice and share with each other. Because if you don't believe in the possibility of miracles and the existence of God, then you have to do something else with this story. And here's how it goes. What really happened, see, is that a big crowd saw a little boy share his food with Jesus. And all the people in this crowd were so inspired by the generosity of this little kid, that everybody in the crowd who did have food shared with everybody who didn't, and nobody went home hungry. That's what really happens, see, unless you're one of these rubes who believes in miracles and God and all that kind of stuff. And then what happens, see, is that after the fact, people who do believe in that kind of stuff, they took the story and they exaggerated it and they mythologized it and turned it into a miracle. Okay. So we should calmly reject the unbelief that reduces this story to just be nice and share with each other, and we won't take the time to refute that 55 different ways from the text. But I think believers can also see that lesson in this story. Because John does not include this detail, but the other gospel writers do, that in order to get these loaves and fish to all these people, Jesus gave them to his disciples and handed them out through them. Jesus uses his people to supply for the needs 
of other people. We are the channels, the instruments that he does that with. Now, ultimately, it's all Jesus' care. It's all his power, but he does it. He works it through us. So we need to care about the people in our families, the people in our congregation, and all humans in that order. Because God does not distribute his gifts equally. He never claims to, and he is under no obligation to do so. So if you are one to whom he has given extra, pass out the extra loaves and fish that he has given you. And Jesus' people, we do this joyfully, gladly for the God who does more than we could hope for and then gives us the hope to believe it. And remember, too, that at the end of this story, the disciples are picking up leftovers. If you think the good Lord doesn't have a sense of humor, picture the look on the disciples' faces while they were doing that and try to think what was going through their minds at the end of this story. What goes through our minds at the end of this story? Jesus cares about us so much. He does so much for us. He does everything to save our souls and provides everything the bodies need that he will one day raise to eternal life. It is more than anyone could hope for, but by the power of God working in us, we hope for it with all trust, all thanksgiving, and all generosity. Amen.